Hello, hello. Hey up. What's up? What's good? Quoi de neuf? Que cosa succede? Privyet ni hao. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, dynamic, and intelligent people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Brilliant, brilliant show for you today with a wonderful guest, Storm Team Chief Meteorologist from CBS 42 in Birmingham, Alabama, Ashley Gann. Ashley joined the CBS 42 Storm Team in the spring of 2015, and you can catch her on CBS 42 News at 5, 6, and 10 on weekdays in a role as CBS 42 Storm Chief Meteorologist. Ashley graduated from Auburn University with a degree in aerospace engineering. Following her War Eagle time, she then went to Mississippi State where she received her master's degree in geosciences, concentrating in both broadcast and operational meteorology. During her time at Mississippi State, she worked as a research assistant to the state's climatologist and her research spanned from topics such as economic impacts weather has on industry and dissecting the Saffir-Simpson hurricane scale as it relates to coastal damage. Ashley's love for weather began at a young age. She's storm spotter certified and her career has taken her through the Great Plains and across the southeast as a storm chaser. All of that makes for a memorable conversation, but there's more with Ashley. Recently, her family moved into an RV, and she shares with us her amazing stories of RV life. On today's episode, Ashley reflects on her career as a meteorologist and discusses just how much research goes into every show. Ashley also discusses how she develops trust with her audience and explains the emotional difficulties of providing such ominous weather forecasts. Finally, Ashley chats about RV life and the positive impacts that it has had on her family. I was really, really energized by my conversation with Ashley. She has a ton of energy and is just a a reservoir of scientific knowledge. She's easily one of the most intelligent people I've ever met, but on top of that is always seeking to learn and to read more. When Ashley and I first spoke, she was counting down the final weeks and final days of her pregnancy as her family is welcoming another child into their life. Congratulations on the new addition, Ashley. Super excited for everyone to meet her. So let's go ahead and bring on Chief Meteorologist from CBS 42 in Birmingham, Alabama. Ashley Gann, and let's learn. Today, you're the expert we're going to learn from. Ah, oh, well, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I've read that your love for weather began in an early age. So what were your earliest fascinations with weather? And then when did it change from something you were just interested in as a child to then something you thought of as a potential career? Growing up in Fort Worth, Texas, you can obviously imagine that weather is in every home. You know, we we were faced with bad weather from, you know, the time I I really was born. And so because of that, I always say that I didn't have like a fascination with weather as much as I had a respect for weather. And I really carried that respect through even in my adult life. Um, There's a lot of people that say I'm really passionate about tornadoes or I'm like, I'm not. Tornadoes hurt people. Like, I I don't think that's cool, you know. Um, But when I was really young, I just had an acute awareness of the weather world. And because of that, I was watching local news quite a bit. I was very interested in local meteorologists. And anytime that we had long form weather on the TV, I was just glued. Little did I know at that time, it was kind of building the foundation to what would become a profession for me. So I distinctly remember being um, in basically a tornado. I say basically our house wasn't like ripped off its foundation or anything, but about a block away, a tornado went through. I remember what it was like at our house. I remember being in the bathtub. I remember I mean, to this day, I can remember the sound of the hail hitting the skylights in our bathroom, you know, and um, 
storms have a huge impact on people and people to this day even still suffer from like PTSD from major tornadic events. And I can talk more about that later, but that's actually something I've become very interested in is the social science of weather and how people actually psychologically respond to weather, not just physically. So um, with that in mind, that was my younger years. I was elementary school age when all that was happening. Fast forward, we moved to Atlanta when I was in middle school, and quite frankly, um, I miss Texas. And if you meet anybody from Texas, you will soon learn that Texas is a culture unto its own. It really is like a country unto its own to some mm -hmm. degree. Um, so people are just very loyal to the state and loyal to their their culture. And I, my family was rooted um, in Texas. My dad, my, I mean, I have four or five generation Texan, and so we leave. Uh, my my dad and my mom had a job transfer. So we move out to Atlanta. I'd never been to Georgia before and I was missing home, if you will. So as a consolation, my mom said, what do you want to do this summer? I was in middle school. I said, I'd like to go to space camp. There's a space camp in Huntsville, Alabama. And I'd always thought about it even when I was younger, but it was way too far away. You know, when you live in Texas and Alabama and at that time, you know, late eighties, early nineties, like it, things were just different. The world seemed a little further apart than it does today. And so I asked to go to space camp and my mom let me. And while I was in space camp, they coincidentally had a, a class offering there that was in weather. And I remember, and that was when the transition happened. So I went in and I, I've always loved atmospheric science. I've loved space. I've, I've loved to learn about the planets and the weather patterns and all of that. And so uh, naturally space camp was a good fit for that interest and then at the end of space camp I just remember distinctively telling my mom mom I know what I want to do when I grow up and she's like what's that and I said I want to be a meteorologist and she said why she's like I just sent you to space camp don't you want to build rockets and um, I said well um, I found out that I really have a love for weather and I really just have a love for like atmospheric science in general and I said and I can get paid to talk about it and uh, at, at that time in school I was getting demerits for talks too much like yeah. academically does well but talks too much I'm like look I can blend the two worlds together and yeah. get a paycheck so that's really kind of the segue I was about 12 years old um, which has also made me incredibly passionate about helping young girls kind of un uncover their love for science at that age because statistics now show that by the time a girl's 12 or 13, if they're not really focused in a STEM field, they will deviate from that. Even if they have the aptitude, ability, and interest to do it, they will start to um, gravitate more towards social interests versus academic. And I just distinctly remember, like, I just held on to that passion. And even though at the time I didn't really have any female mentors, I really didn't even know any female meteorologists at the time. Um, I continued on with my academics and went to college. I actually was an aerospace engineering major, coincidentally, and then went on and got my master's in meteorology. And here I am. What a fascinating story. And I love that you mentioned also about the, the social and the psychological aspects of weather. It's one of those yeah. things where you talk to someone and when they know about a blizzard or a tornado, they know the exact year. Oh, it reminds me of that freak weather we had in 2011 or 73. Yep. People always remember yep. it. I think that's, that's fascinating. And, and I relate to you as well because many a times I got the, the poor marks for talking too much. So here I am doing this every day. So I guess it's fitting, fitting as well. So yeah. you mentioned going to college with your aerospace mm -hmm. engineering degree and you went to two amazing universities, Auburn and Mississippi State. So when you think back to your collegiate years, what are the first memories that come to mind? 
Oh, wow. Uh, well, my very first memory of college is I remember falling up the stairs on my first day of college and then, looking up and then um, getting up and some guy was standing on the railing and he looks at me and goes, that's embarrassing. And I was like, yeah. And I just continued on to class. So that was a fun memory. But uh, but other than that, I I loved my college experience. A lot of people have, you know, they have varying memories, but um, I had an opportunity to be a university hostess while I was at Auburn. And that was something that was really, really a huge part of not only my collegiate career, but it's really kind of carried me through my professional life too. I've just met so many wonderful people. They became my best friends. And then when I, that was at Auburn and then from Auburn to Mississippi State, I really just kind of sank my teeth into weather when I got to Mississippi State. And so my biggest memory there is that that's really what cultivated the, the professional, that's really what helped groom me professionally for where I am. It kind of took me from my interest in weather uh, to really kind of like honing my skill sets in weather. Very cool. Yeah. Now, as technology and resources have advanced, meteorologists have become incredibly tech savvy and you got to feel comfortable working with science, which I know you do. How much research do you do for any given show and what are the technological advancements that have, have improved during your career? Yeah, this is one of my favorite questions, mainly because I think that meteorologists kind of get the stereotypical yeah. bad rap yeah. and they're like, oh, you're just, and, and I, and females get it far more than men, you know, oh, you're, you're the weather girl. Like you're all, oh, you're the cute weather girl, you know? And yeah. I'm like, I have probably more degrees than you do, <laughs> and, you know, and I've taken uh, you know, differential equations and thermodynamics. What, what did you take in college? <laughs> but all that to say, um, I, we forecast every day. So every day when, when I am presenting my weather, uh, it's the forecast that I've created. So we use weather models to help predict, predict and project um, what, what we're forecasting. And the way I like to say is if you're watching your local news and you see your meteorologist on TV for, uh, let's say two to three minutes, that's about as much time as we get to tell you a main forecast, which in the big scheme of things, you're like, that's not a lot of time. Um, but it's kind of like a thesis. And I have three main points that I always like to, for people to walk away with. So if they get to the end of my forecast, there's three things that everyone should know that's going to happen, whether it's going to be hot tomorrow, wet this weekend and a cold blast next week, you know, whatever. So that's what I focus my forecast around. So um, leading up to that, I always say, however many minutes you see a meteorologist on TV, that's how many hours they put into preparing wow. that. So for every minute I'm on TV, it's one hour of work. So if I'm doing a two to three minute forecast, that's probably two to three hours of work that I've put into doing that. Now, in saying that, I've done it for so many years and geographically I've done it in the same region. So I really understand the climate here. Yeah. I understand a lot of the micro weather systems that happen in some of our valleys versus some of our higher elevations. So there's a lot of things that I've become more efficient at. It may not take me that long to today, um, but kind of on an average, I would say that that's, that's a good, a good basis, you know, every an hour per minute that you see them on TV. And some of that could be social media. Some of that could be even doing radio, um, um, other appearances and things like that. So, um, but yeah, but we have a whole slew of weather models that we have access to. Some of them are in-house proprietary weather models. Others are public weather models that we can use. And we also have very good relationships with government agencies like the National Weather Service and NOAA. And so we're constantly collaborating and uh, basically trying to come up with the best forecast for people. And what people don't may not realize is that meteorologists and so all the chief meteorologists in Birmingham for example 
we're actually quite good friends. And so before like a big storm event, we'll actually collaborate and make sure that our forecasts are pretty similar because getting back to the psychology, as people change the channel and they hear different meteorologists giving different forecasts, our goal in the 2000s isn't like it was in the late 80s or 90s where you're just trying to sensationalize the news or weather. Um, we're trying to keep people as a prize to actually what's going to happen. And so we try to make sure our stories sound as similar as possible. And that way we're giving people the best information so that they can make the best choices for their day and how to protect their family and, and things like that. So it's kind of interesting even how our communication amongst the weather community has changed over the years as well. It's not, I would say, station to station is still competitive from just, hey, we're, we're competition, you know, but from a, our outcome standpoint, so the psychology standpoint, our goal is to keep people safe at the end of the day and well-informed. It's fascinating that you continue to talk about psychology. That's really surprising to me. I didn't know it was such a, a layer of meteorology. What makes for more of a complex show? You mentioned that for every minute that you're on, it's an hour of research. What's an instance where you're like, we need a couple more minutes today to talk about? What are some key events that happen? So hurricanes, anytime we get tropical weather events, that's a time when I'm going to need more time to talk and or kind of forecast the weather. Um, anytime that we have approaching severe weather events, if we know several days out that we could be getting tornadoes or even strong thunderstorms, we'll even have big wind events. We recently had a huge wind event here. I mean, we're talking 80 to 90 mile per hour winds, which is the equivalent of a small tornado. It just isn't rotating wind. So anytime we have events like that, that's when A, it requires much more of my mental focus. And I generally coordinate with my producers and ask them if they can give me a little bit more time. And a lot of times, and our station's really good. So Alabama, and specifically where we are in the state, is actually one of the most prone areas to tornadoes in the United States. Um, a little unknown fact is we all often think, you know, kind of nationally, people think, oh, the Great Plains, Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma, they get the tornadoes. Um, but actually, there's a, a small little region of North Mississippi, Tennessee, and North Alabama, and they actually see more tornadoes every year than the Great Plains. It's just that they see smaller. So EF0 to EF2 tornadoes. Great Plains sees fewer tornadoes, but they might be larger in size. So it's kind of interesting. So we actually, the frequency of tornadoes that we see annually is more than any other part of the United States, which also requires a lot of mental focus from the meteorologists that, are, that get hired in this region. Yeah. And because of that, our news is very, um, they actually, we have a motto that we always lead with weather unless there's something else going on. Wow. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful that I work for a station and I work somewhere that makes meteorology such a priority. Again, it's tremendously fascinating. Where I'm from, Arizona, our extreme weather is heat. Other than that, I've never been in a hurricane, never been in a tornado, never been in an earthquake. So it's my knowledge yeah. of weather is very, very simple. Is the high influx or the high amount of tornadoes in there, is that part of it because the air coming off the Appalachians, the mountain range there? Is that part of it? Or? Well, interestingly enough, because we have the Gulf to our south, that's yeah. a feeder. So wet air is yeah. the fuel that storms need. So when we have winds out of the Gulf, plus you actually have continental air coming from the west. So it's actually colder air moving in from like the Great Plains, for example. So you have colder, dry air mixing in with warm, wet air, and that generally happens. So we have two peak seasons, one's in the spring and one's in the fall, and they're generally when we start to see those big um, 
shifts in seasons. So when our air temperatures start to really change, we start to get either a cooler blast of air or a warmer yeah. blast of air. So you have those competing air masses. And uh, basically what happens, just a quick science lesson. So hot air likes to rise, it's buoyant, mm -hmm. cold air likes to sink. And the reason we have severe weather is those get flip-flopped in the atmosphere. Yeah. So the cold air is on top and the warm air is on the bottom. And when they compete, uh, that's when it, the atmosphere becomes volatile. And that's how we're able to kind of pinpoint a little bit better where we think that severe weather will happen. But it's our placement to the Gulf of Mexico that is our leading cause of, of those tornadoes. Learning so much. We keep talking about psychology. Well, in your career, you're often the bearer of bad news. And knowing that you must be professional mentally and emotionally, how do you make sure that you show compassion during the hardest times? Yeah, that's another great question. So I'll, I'll rewind time. So April 27th, 2011, talking about pinpoint days, people yeah. always remember, we had a slew of tornadoes, historic event, several hundred people lost their lives that day. It's, uh, it, was, it was a deadly day in the state of Alabama. We knew that it was coming. We knew it was going to be a bad day. And there was still significant loss of life. It affected a lot of people who were meteorologists who were on air. Many people actually quit doing weather because it was so emotionally traumatizing. Uh, for me, I was on television in Montgomery. I was not in Birmingham where they had some of the um, more deadly storms, but we were watching it live on our sky cams and I was reporting on it live. I was pretty young. I was a chief meteorologist at the time, but I was a young chief. And this is probably my first real big event that I covered as the chief meteorologist. And I'll never forget stepping off the screen for about five seconds. It felt like an eternity. And I was just silent because I knew at that moment in time, I was watching a video. We were watching a tower camp from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and I knew people were losing their lives. So for me, it was a very sobering moment, and it really redefined how I communicated weather from that day forward. Kind of preceding that for that few years, it was very much more cerebral and academic, and I wanted to tell people to forecast, and I wanted to sound really smart, and I and maybe a little bit of pride wrapped up yeah, in that. Yeah. Um, from that day forward, after April 27th, I realized my job as a communicator was to re relay urgency yeah. and in the need to protect life, your livelihood, basically. And so it really, um, it, it really transformed what my goals were, even in my weather profession. And so from there, I started really diving into schools, and I really started talking more about the education of severe weather safety. I started talking, and that's what really got me onto the social science side, because what we learned from that day is that people make choices in traumatic moments for very different reasons. Yeah. I feel like as, as a meteorologist, I want to get on TV and say, get to your safe place and get there now. We all, you know, but other people have a different mantra. You know, some people think, oh, if it's going to get me, it's going to get me. Some people think, oh, I don't believe the person on TV. I want to hear a phone call from my mom or I want to yeah. see it on social media first. So what we learned from that day is there are several layers to people's response. And so what I, what I do and how I operate now is I want to be a piece of that response. You know, I want someone to turn, tune in and say, Hey, I trust her. Like she doesn't sensationalize the weather every day. So I use my everyday forecast to gain a little bit of that trust in my viewership so that when the hard hitting moments happen and we have those severe weather events that they tune in and they say, Hey, she's like me. She's a mom. I talk about my kids, you know, very relatable. So I try to be someone that's not, as I say, the, the talking head in the box, but I'm mm -hmm. someone that you could sit with on a park bench and have a conversation with and a cup of coffee with. And that's kind of how I've, my mission and weather has changed and shifted. So I obviously still forecast and do all the academic things. And I want to bring you the accurate forecast, but I realized the relational side is so important 
as far as a life-saving measure when it comes to severe weather and how people respond to severe weather as well. You mentioned people analyze things or receive things differently. Does that frustrate you when you're saying this grave news and saying there is danger here and people might be either apathetic or just stubborn and not really interested in listening? Yeah, you know, I I would say initially, yes, it would frustrate me. But what I learned over time is that we're all created a little bit differently and everybody has a little bit different take on life. And just because my take on life looks a certain way, somebody else may have a lot of other uh, things that have impacted their life that make their decisions different than mine. So what I've also done, I used to be very offended too. Like I would take offense if someone did not listen, you know? and say, this didn't have to happen. You know, we told you to get to your safe place. And, um, but then I also had to accept the fact that one, other people make decisions for themselves. I can't go to someone's house and physically drag them from their living room into their basement. So uh, we're all at the end of the day responsible for the choices that we make as humans and adults, you know? And, um, so I've, I've let some of that go over time, maybe just maturity. But as I talk to communities, I do a lot of town hall talks. And like I said, talk to schools. What I've learned is that everybody is so unique in their life and, and things that lead them to where we are today. Everybody's life story uh, as you know, this whole podcast is about stories and people's, you know, unique stories. So, I mean, I think what I've learned too is that I can't possibly relate to every single person that I'm talking to because when I'm talking to literally our viewing area covers almost a million people, you know, and so I can't possibly think that all of those people have had the same life experiences that would make them make the same decision in a, you know, a grave situation. So I do what I can. And I tell the information that I know how I try not to sensationalize it. And like I said, I try to talk to you just like I would talk to my kids, like, Hey kids, get to your safe place. You know, and not, not in the sense of talking down to people, but just in that like colloquial familial sense. And so I just have to trust that people um, recognize the urgency. And if not, you know, that's, that's their choice at the end of the day. What a fantastic response, especially you admitting maybe it's your own maturity of, of not being mad at someone who doesn't listen. Yeah. And I think it's such a, such a great philosophy for, for not only your career, but also for life. One last and important weather question. You mentioned a little bit about storm chasing. Yeah. Storm chasing. This is, this is incredible. This is, could be an episode on its own. Favorite story from storm chasing. That's an opening line right there. Hey, I used to storm. Well, it, it is until you realize how boring my story is. So <laughs> you, were chasing, you were chasing the heat in Arizona. It was completely boring. Basically, what ended up happening, I was, I was able to go on a storm chase team. They only selected a, a few, a handful of students to go. I mean, you had to like write an essay. You had to apply for the storm chase team. So I was in graduate school. And obviously, because it's high risk, you have to sign all of this paperwork, you know, like, hey, we're not held liable, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> So I go out and it was the longest tornado drought the Great Plains has ever seen. (laughs) No kidding. So the most exciting thing we did, we had two white vans that we had rented and uh, we, we punched through a thunderstorm just to get hailed on. Like that was the excitement of our trip. Now, there were a lot of storms that kind of like developed, but never really like performed and never had tornadoes that actually came out with them. The one cool thing, though is that each and every day we would meet with our professors in the lobby of the hotel 
and we would actually draw out the atmosphere. So there's several different ingredients required to create a tornado. So we would basically take clear transparency paper and we would draw on them with a dry erase marker of each, each ingredient or each element. And so, uh, and then what we would do is we would line all those transparencies up and where that overlaid geographically is where we would drive to that day. And that's, so I learned so much about the atmosphere. I learned so much about general safety of storms, how storms move and, you know, from the thermodynamics to the dynamics of storms. So it was an incredibly enriching opportunity, but we just didn't see anything. And that's the other thing about storms. You just can't make them fall from the sky. You know, you can do as much as you can to follow where you think they're going to be, but, uh, but you can't make them, you know, you can't make them just drop a tornado just because you want to see it. So, you know, when it comes to travel frustrations, most people are, are disappointed if they travel and it's raining on their vacation, if they go to the beach and it's raining, but you are the exact opposite. If you travel and it's not raining, you're disappointed. Yeah, but we, had, we saw a lot of cool cities along the way. We were in 13 states in 13 days and, uh, you know, so it, it was a really cool experience to say the uh, least. Are there any world weather phenomenons that you are just chomping at the bit to like, you want to go and report on that, you want to go and experience? I think of Aurora Borealis or I think oh. of the, the lightning storms in Venezuela, something like that. Or is there something that piques your interest? Like one of these days I got to get there. I mean, Northern Stars for sure. Yeah. If I could ever see the Aurora Borealis, that would be hands down. That's probably like top of my bucket list of things to see. My aunt is from Nor Norway. And so she lived actually slightly north of the Arctic Circle. And she used to see them all the time. She lives in Texas now. Oh. Uh, she mar married my uncle. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so I'm like, uh, well, but, but it's one of those things you just can't plan kind of like severe weather, you know, you can seasonally say, hey, we think it's going to be about this time. And you know, there's travel agencies that try to set you up with all this stuff. And, but you know, it's a risk. You never know if you're going to see it, but that is definitely my bucket list. That would be one thing I'd love to see. Glaciers too. I, I haven't been, you know, to Alaska, but I would love to, to see some glacial formations. That would be pretty cool. My time in Iceland, they described the Northern Lights as, as she and that she is temperamental and she doesn't always come out. And yeah. during that week, the, the prime time to go. But uh -huh. during that week, I didn't see the sun once because it rained the entire time. And if there's clouds, there's no stars. So, yeah. so I, I lucked out as well. <laughs> bummer, bummer. Another amazing thing about you, you live in an RV. This is just incredible. I, I read about how it started. So what was the motivation for this fantastic switch of mindset and switch of homes? Golly. So I feel like we've been doing it so long. I've like almost forgot the impetus for even like why, why we ended up there. Yeah. Uh, but long story short, we just kind of hit a point in our lives where we were like, we just need to minimize. We've got three kids. I actually have one on the way. It's due next week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, so, that's... Yeah. And so, you know, people think we're crazy, you know, because it's not like it's just me and my husband. It's me, my husband and three little ones. And basically we just felt the need. So we had an opportunity to sell our house and you know, we, we're kind of opportunists and we're also very entrepreneurial in our mindset. So I'm like, you know, why not? Yeah. And through that process of cleaning out the house that we lived in, which wasn't even huge. I mean, it's like, it was 2,500 square feet. I mean, it was a modest home for, for a family of five, you know? And so it wasn't like a huge thing, but I started cleaning through the house and realized how much junk we had. And I think I was so overwhelmed by the stuff. And I was yeah. like, 
we've got to do something about this. So we started looking at other homes and then that kind of turned into what if we just lived in an RV and then just figured it out. And so it's kind of what we did. And then through that journey, we decided we kind of became unintentional house flippers. So we started renovating some houses in town and that allowed us to afford us some flexibility to, um, you know, well, A, when you live in an RV, you're really just paying for your RV and, and whatever the cost of the state park is or your RV spot. So our our bills each month went down dramatically. So we were able to save money. And then we just realized what was most important. And we're like, you know what? Like this American dream, no offense to the American dream, but I realized it was kind of overrated, to be honest. And I was like, because we all try to work for what? The house and the car and the 2.5 kids. And, and then I'm like, but what's the value in that? And I realized how much time I got with my kids in getting that time back was so much more valuable than the big house or, and then you realize the time you have to spend to clean a big house or then the, all the maintenance that goes into all of that. So it's been a great season for us. It's um, really and truly almost been a full year since we've been in and out of our RV and consistently the last six to seven months. Now um, we just finished renovating a house literally like Monday of this week. So I, I'm in a house that's uh, in the process of getting its final inspection. There's still a permit on the garage door. But uh, but with that said, it's been a great experience. And it's, um, it's a smaller house too. And we realized we just don't need a lot. I sold a bunch of stuff. We purged. We gave away. And it has been so incredibly freeing. I look back and there's there's not one thing that I've given away or sold that I've ever missed. Not wow. one. We talk more about the movement, a philosophical change towards being a minimalist. Also, what are some of the other ways that your outlook on life has changed? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just brought perspective back to what's most important and that every family, every person really needs to understand like what their priorities are. And when you really start to get rid of the stuff, um, those priorities become your priorities again. I didn't realize how much I had kind of fallen away from that, whether it be just spending time with my kids or reading books or, you know, just, and they're just small things in life. And, you know, when you've got three kids, you don't have a lot of extra time, you know, but then what, what I found to be the most valuable is that we had a bunch of kids toys away. We gave them one small box and we said, fit whatever you can in there fit your favorite things um, outside of books. Um, we said fit, fit whatever you want in there and that's what you're going to keep. And what's so crazy is those kids have never even really once wanted to even dig through the box of the toys that they got to keep. And so that's, what's really changed in our mindset is um, making experiences count, making memories. And we lived in a state park for a while. So I mean, and my son is four, he's now five. I mean, every boy loves to throw sticks in a fire pit and, you know, go throw rocks in a creek. And so it's just like, I felt like my kids got to be kids again and in a, in a safe, somewhat controlled environment. But one of my favorite things that has been our biggest takeaway is we have met some extraordinary people along the way. Because when the RVers come in and out, we always are looking at their license plate and we'll get to meet people. I mean, we've met people from... Alaska, from South Dakota, from California, all the way up the East Coast. And, um, and my kids have played with kids from like all over the United States, just in the RV park, you know, or wherever we're staying at the time or the state park. So that's been really cool. And yeah. you don't realize when you're just in the comforts of your little 
you know, white picket fence neighborhood that sometimes that gets lost. And even sometimes, how often do we go out and hang out with our neighbors? You know, like how many people are doing that anymore? And so I think it just brought a lot back to just building really strong relationships with our family and our community and, and hearing people's stories. Like I love to hear stories of like where people come from and how'd you end up here and how'd you end up with your RV and, you know, and my kids get to hear that. And like, that's been so fun for all of us. So that, that to me, kind of that minimalist, just simplifying things and, and making memories really an experience is the most important thing that we do. It's so terrific. What do you feel is the percentage split of people who give the two responses of, oh, I could never do that. Or, oh my gosh, you're living the best life. Um, I would say it's probably like 10, 90, 90% think we've lost our mind. Really? 10% are like, well, and you know, most of it's usually like, so I, our age people have younger kids and yeah. I think their first thing is they're like, I couldn't do it with three kids. That's what yeah. they always say. And I'm like, you would be amazed at what you actually could do, yeah. you know, because they think, oh, it's, you're, you're in such tight quarters and all this. But, you know, I always say a sidebar, a caveat to that. My husband and I work non-traditional hours and we kind of flip flop. So I'm at home in the day. I work at night. He works more traditional, like nine to five. My kids are at school. So, I mean, it's not like we're all in the RV seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Um, I think I have a lot of people very interested. So like I have 10% that are like on board, they get it. Now of that 90%, there's still probably about half of them that have always said like, we would love to give it a try, but we we would never. So we'll just watch you on your Instagram. (laughs) You know, so it's kind of like, it's funny. So, I mean, I actually, I had one friend, she's a realtor and she has a quite large home. And she even said, I you inspired me. We're selling our house fully furnished and we want to travel for a year and they've got three kids. And so she's like, I think I'm just going to do school on the road. And because of COVID, she's like, we could do virtual classes. And so I thought that was kind of cool. I'm like, I've never inspired someone to sell their house before. Um, But you know, you have to make sure it's a good fit for you too, because it's not a life for everybody. And you know, we don't really travel a lot. So we're really pretty stationary, but we've been able to like I say, take the house, take the house up to the mountains. And we've gone up mountains. I use that. I mean, mountains of Alabama, but uh, you know, the, the hills of the Appalachian. So, I mean, we've been able to do some fun trips. We've taken it down to Disney. We've gone to the beach, you know, so we've done, we've been able to take the kids on some fun weekend trips and things like that, which, you know, otherwise we'd be racking up hotel costs and all that other stuff. And well, you know. you're still, you're still new at this. You got, you know, over time, we're going to see you on the road full oh. time. I think you're going to have your own rotating weather show where you're going from state to state. Hey. Yeah. Don't tease me. It would be so much fun. <laughs> I'm surprised that it was, it was, you'd say it's a 1090 split because for me, it's a no brainer. I'm like, that's such a brilliant life. What do you love about the uncertainty that comes with having a mobile house, so to speak, that you could wake up and in theory, you can go any which way you want. So, you know, I think there's some freedom in that. And yeah. I think people have lost the idea of what does freedom really look like? Because getting back to the American dream, I mean, are we really free when we're locked into a mortgage? Are we really free when we're paying our HOA dues? Are we really free when, you know, when we create these plans for ourselves, like we feel like our kids have to go to a certain school or we've got to dress a certain way. Like, is there really freedom in that? And so I think that's one word that I would use that there's freedom in choice and there's freedom in, in really making your life um, as free as possible, you know, whether it's free of debt or whether it's free of even 
relational toxic relationships or free of um, you know physically where you're living you know and and I think that that gets back to just people kind of assessing where they are what their long-term goals and priorities are and that's one of the biggest conversations I have with people so my husband and I are really really big on living a debt-free life and so we like to help coach people and help people on how to be financially free and you know we have made comments about some of the homes that we've bought and flipped and sold and all of that and I said but that, you know, on one hand, people are like, y'all move a lot. Y'all do this a lot. Or now you're living in an RV. We just can't keep up. But we say we make very, um, but we, we do make very thoughtful choices so that we, because we have a long-term plan and this fits into our long-term plan so that we can use those house flips and generate income. So it's helping yeah. to get us to our end goals. So instead of us spending our whole life paying down debt, or buying lots of things to keep up with the Joneses, we've chosen to have a life that just really looks different. And we're okay with that. And I think that there is a little place you have to get there mentally. Um, because again, I don't think our culture teaches us that. Our culture is very much driven on how do you look? What are you wearing? Who do you know? You know, And, and we kind of say, hey, what do we want to provide our kids? And what kind of legacy do we want to leave? And so through that, it loops back around to living in an RV and having that freedom. And having the freedom to show our kids the world. Like, my kids all flew on an airplane before they were a year old. Now, this won't be the case with number four, but we have family, and, and so we love to travel. And so, like, that's my goal is to show kids – I want to show my kids the world. I've traveled to four different continents, and I want to be able to take my kids when it's safe, again, to do the same thing. And, you know, I don't want them to have to wait till they're 55 and on their retirement check to, to experience what the world has to offer. And so because we have that mindset, um, you know, I think – creating that freedom now and, and even showing our kids what that freedom and flexibility looks like. I think in some ways it's a learned skill, like flexibility and freedom is not always just a trait and a characteristic. Like you have to learn how to be free because culture is telling us something that's very different than that. I admire your philosophy on life and I love the synergy that you and your husband have. Are you a reader? And if so, favorite book, most memorable book of the last year? Oh, goodness. Okay. First of all, I do enjoy reading. I will say I have been a terrible, I've been terrible at finding time to read on my own in the last several, several months. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the most recent reads that I loved was Educated. It was about yeah. the young lady yeah, at, yeah. at Utah. So that one was good. And then I also read last year where the crawdads sing. Ah, so okay. it's based yeah. off of, um, based in South Carolina. Yeah. So so that one was, both of those were my, my top two reads. And then, and I can't, I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but it's about, um, it's about a lady that hiked the Appalachian Trail back in the 50s or 60s. Okay. And that was incredible. And it, it was based on a true story. And so she started, um, she started the hike and didn't tell her family. But this is like back before they had cell phones and all that stuff. And she eventually told them. But that's another one. I'll have to figure out. I have to remember the name. But that was a that was another okay. great read. Yeah. Crawdads, the the main character, and I've never felt so protective over a character the entire book. But it's like I wanted right. nothing to happen. To, like, you better not mess with her. Right? <laughs> right. It's so true, though. Very yeah. true. What has been the most difficult thing about being pregnant during a quarantine or pandemic? Both. Oh, the most difficult thing. Um, well, probably the, just that my husband doesn't get to come to my doctor visits. <laughs> so that's been hard, just because he's. I always joke he's the emotional one in our relationship. And I'm like, I'm more of like the, the math and, you know, so yeah. he's always the one that adds like sweetness to the moment. So okay. he'll, he'll like, he'll be my, he's like my sweet emotional husband who gets like real goo goo gaga over the baby. And I'm just like, you just tell me when the 
when I need to be at the hospital, you know, like, let's just get this baby. Yeah. And so, uh, so that's been a little bit hard, but honestly, I will say kind of, and maybe I just try to look at the glass half full most of the time, but, um, but with COVID it does limit, you know, like visitors in the hospital. So when the baby's born and I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that because it'll just be quiet and it'll yeah. just be me and my husband and the baby and yeah. a couple of days of sweet bonding. And I don't have to worry about guests coming in and out and all of that. So I'm actually kind of looking forward to that part. But other than that, just general safety, you know, because there's just so much we don't know about COVID. And so I think the hardest part is just making sure that now I'm not only protecting myself, but I've got another human that I've got to protect as well. So there's just an added element of pressure. Anytime I go out in public, making sure that I'm following all of the rules and masking up and hand sanitizing and, you know, trusting, um, trusting that I'm doing the best thing, not only for my health, but my baby's health as well. But all in all, I think we've done a very good job. Knock on wood. Uh, we, we have dodged the COVID bullet in our, in our household and really in our immediate family. So I'm very grateful for that because I know a lot of my friends have not been as lucky. So, um, so we're, we're grateful, but I'm, I'm fully at home working from home and trying to stay as safe as I can from now until when the baby arrives. Well, I'm excited yeah. to welcome your new baby into the club Aquarius. It's a great club. So he gets, <laughs> they, 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 they okay. that's awesome. This has been so much fun. So much fun. I'm laughing a ton. I'm learning a lot. It's been such a diverse conversation. What yeah. are, aside from being a new mother in, in the next couple of weeks. What are your future goals, plans, projects for the rest of 2021? Wow. Uh, well, we actually have another house we're going to be renovating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's our newest project, which again, people think we're crazy. So we don't tell a lot of people. Crazy's good. Like, crazy's good. Yeah. Crazy's amazing. Um, what, there's like a quote, and I wish, I, I mean, I'll, I'll email it to you, yeah. but uh, it's something about like, you know, if, if my life looked like everybody else's, what a boring life it would be or something along the, like, you know, totally yeah. paraphrasing, but it's something, and that, that's kind of like our mantra in our family. Yeah. Um, but as far as that goes, it's welcoming a healthy baby boy into the world and, um, you know, just hoping that we can kind of get over this COVID hurdle. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we're personally going to be working on another house. So we have another house project. And uh, beyond that, we don't have any other huge plans for 2021. But if you would have asked me at the beginning of 2020, um, if I would have ended 2021, or if I would have ended 2020 the way that we did, I could never have predicted it. So um, ironically, there are a lot of things I predict very well, the only thing being weather. Um, and then beyond that, it's kind of like, we just, we just roll the dice sometimes. And we're like, let's see. Let's see what uh, what the big man upstairs has in store for us. And, and we, we're risk takers. Like I said, my husband and I are entrepreneurial by uh, by spirit. He owns a business and we kind of run it together. He runs it. And, and so we're actually looking to add some more onto our business. We're able to hire our family members. So it's a, truly a family owned and operated business. And that's been that's been very rewarding. So our big goal for this year is to really expand that business and be able to give back more to the community in that way. You blew me away. I love just your mindset, your experiences, and just uh, just everything. I love your outlook on life. It was awesome. Well, thank you. Well, this is a lot of fun. Can't wait to listen. Babies due January 29th, so maybe we'll get to listen to the podcast uh, as I'm on my maternity leave. So that'll be fun. So cool. Ash. Yeah. You're awesome. You're the best. This was this was so fantastic. I am glad that I that I met you. I'm excited yeah. to follow along your journey and, and to follow along all the things that you're doing. Awesome. Likewise. Well, have a great afternoon. We'll talk okay. to you later. All right. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Ashley. Wow, oh, she was wonderful, wasn't she? Be sure to give her a follow on Instagram, Gan Weather, Gan G A N N, and then Weather. 
best of luck on your new edition, Ashley, and I'm excited to see what's next for you in 2021. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.